from Hollywood. It's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Hillary Fuchs, Johnny. How's your time these days? Time to live, time to die, you know. What's up? A claim on a $100,000 policy. I want it investigated. 100000 What kind of policy? Straight life. You sound worried. I am. I think we're going to be taken this time, Johnny. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Continental Insurance and Trust Company, 657 North Spear Boulevard, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the DeSalle matter. I'd heard of Dave DeSalle. I guess everybody in this country's heard of him at one time or another. DeSalle Television, DeSalle Radio, DeSalle Electronics, DeSalle Appliances, Racetracks, Theaters, DeSalle this and that. But up until the time I talked to Hillary Fuchs about the case, I had never put a man behind the name. Expense account item one, two bucks, two drinks for Hillary Fuchs and myself. We had them in his Hillary office Johnny out of my bottle over his desk. Just plain worn out with it. <coughs> Stuck. <coughs> Ooh, that's some water. Mm. Oh. But I'll tell you this. I'm not going to make a present of $100,000 of stockholders' money to anybody. I wouldn't do that either. Drink your drink. Here's to war. Salute. Now, while that's settling, maybe you'll settle down and tell me what it's all about. Dave DeSalle. Know him? I've heard the name, yeah. Well, he's dead. Drowned four days ago out on the coast. So? Did you ever see our K-Policy series? I've heard of it. Well, the premium's about triple a normal life policy. It's designed only for people with big money. Sure. But it's got a feature that makes those people with money look at it a long time. Uh-huh. This clause isn't anything more or less than the old accident clause paying double indemnity. Broken down, we aren't taking much of a chance. The incident statistics are with us. All right, I'll look it up if I need it. Okay. Three months ago, we insured Dave DeSalle on one of those K policies. Four days ago, he fell off the back of a yacht and drowned, and we're hooked for $100,000. Accidents happen. You betcha, all the time. But I'm not sure it was an accident. At least there's not enough proof in this coroner's report to convince me. You say it happened four days ago? Yes. Has a claim been filed yet? Yes, and the beneficiary is the deceased's widow. Inquest? Inquest, burial, everything. Was there an autopsy? No, there was not. Investigation? Yes, it was handled by the local police in San Ladeo. San what? Oh. San Ladeo, a little place about 30 miles south of Los Angeles. Four days ago. Why didn't you put someone on it then? I did. Bert Kenyon. Here's his last report. Uh. No evidence available to dispute coroner's verdict of accidental drowning. Recommend claim be honored. Uh, sounds like cold turkey to me. It may sound that way to you, but I still don't like it. I want it warmed up. Now, look, Bert Kenyon knows his way around. And he can miss like anyone else. I want you to go out there and work with him. Cover it all again. Get it to Saul's widow. She stands to gain most by his death. Maybe the two of you can come up with something. Well, what do you do about the claim? Deny liability on the grounds that the accident is not proven. Hillary, you will be sued. I'll take that chance. Fuchs was an old chance taker who had been raised in the insurance business. The kind of man who gave a claim every kind of test, and if it still passed, he sat down and smelled the paper it was written on. And if he didn't like that, he'd take his chance. Expense account item two, $138, plane fare to Los Angeles. Item three, $3, a telegram to Bert Kenyon advising him of my arrival, which turned out to be at 1 o'clock in the morning, 10 minutes ahead of a fog that blanked out the whole area at the airport. Johnny! Johnny Dollar! What? Oh, hey, Bert. Uh, How are you? Johnny, good to see you. Nice to see you. Uh, come on, I got a car. Well, have you got a cigarette? I ran out two hours ago. Ah, sure, man. Uh, there you go. Well, good to see you. Good to see you, boy. The last time I saw Bert Kenyon was July, a year ago, in Dayton, Ohio. He was there working on an arson claim for the National Underwriters. Before that, I'd run into him in Denver, Portland, and Chicago. And we'd worked together for two weeks in New Orleans on the San Antonio case. He sent me a Christmas card every year. I sent him one. We were as close and as far apart as two friends can be. When I saw him this time, he looked tired and thinner. And he lit one cigarette after the other. 
You'll like San Ladillo, Tony. Yeah? How's the hotel? Uh, old Spanish job. Big rooms, fireplaces. Smells kind of damp all the time. You get used to it. Are you uh, tired? Yeah. Well, uh, tell me about the claim, Bert. Nothing to tell. Routine so far. Oh, Fuchs was pretty worried about it. He doesn't like the coroner's report. Ah, you know, Fuchs, worry, worry. That's what he gets paid for. Oh, that's what we get paid for, too. Okay, okay. On the face of it, I'd question the claim right away. Just in the three months period alone, I'd question it. You still think it was an accident? I think we should pay up and shut up. I'd like to admit this to sell guy, Johnny. Stocks and bonds and pretty blondes. He sure had them all. Wait till you meet Mrs. DeSalle. Wait till you see the layout. Boy. And Fuchs worrying about a $100,000 claim. Do you know how much DeSalle's widow is worth? $8 million. $100,000 means about that much to her. Not that much. Peanuts. You want to hear something funny? Real funny? Go on. DeSalle bought that policy one day at the racetrack at Del Mar. Yeah. Because an insurance broker gave him a tip on a horse. Yeah. <laughs> I can just see Fuchs worrying about his 100000 and finding out about that part. How did you find out about it? Mrs. DeSalle, she told me the story. What about her? Now, what about her? She's the beneficiary. I told you, 100000 doesn't mean a thing to her. Why would she kill him for $100,000? Why not? Fuchs sent you out here to take over because he thinks I lost up, didn't he, Johnny? He sent me out to see if I could give you a hand. He wants us to cover the whole thing again. Wouldn't kid an old pal, would you? I'd never try, Bert. <laughs> I bet you wouldn't. I just bet you wouldn't. In another ten minutes, we were in San Ladillo, a sprawling little town built around a natural harbor. The houses looked expensive, the boats even more expensive. Kenyon pointed out one house on a hill, a three-story affair with an acre or so of lawns around it. He explained it was the DeSalle home. I checked into the San Ladillo Hotel and got a good night's sleep. Next morning, Bert Kenyon and I went over to the statements of everyone who had been on the yacht the night DeSalle went overboard. Then we went out and interviewed everybody again, including Mrs. DeSalle. It's getting awfully dull. You understand we have to do this. All right. Dave and I were having drinks with a few friends. He said he felt like getting a little air. He went up on deck. A few minutes later, someone was looking for him. Mr. Burke. It might have been. Well, that's what's on your statement. All right. Mr. Burke. We couldn't find Dave, and then I remembered he was on deck. We went up there and saw his hat floating on the water. We looked around. We didn't see him. I sent one of the crew to call for help. They fished him out an hour or so later. You were never on deck until then? No, I wasn't. Who were they? You said they fished him out. The police. Someone. I don't know. There were a lot of men. They tried to give him artificial respiration. Well, what did you do? I watched. What else was there to do? Hard thing to watch, Mrs. DeSalle. Your husband just drowned. Yes. Yes, it was. Is that all? Yeah. That's all. Come in. Hi. Oh, what's all this? Thought you'd be in bed. Just going over the reports again. Well, what do you think? Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to make up my mind, Bert. About Mrs. DeSalle, the way she looks, the way she acts. I told you she was something. Yeah, sure. Fifty men that sell their souls to be tied up with her one way or another. She had help, Bert. What? She had to have help to kill him. A dozen people swear she was below drinking martinis with him, so someone was up on deck waiting for DeSalle. What have you got to go on? DeSalle swam the English Channel 20 years ago. He should have been able to swim 20 feet to a gangplank. Drunk or sober, he should have been able to do that. I knew about that swimming business. Expert swimmers drown all the time. We both know that. What else? Well, why didn't somebody hear him yell? Maybe he didn't. Everybody lets out a yell in a situation like that, falling or in the water. There were a dozen people aboard. One of them should have heard him yell. Yeah, I guess you're right. All right, suppose he didn't yell. 
But suppose this coroner made a mistake about the bruises on the side of his head. Suppose they happened before he went over the side. It'd be hard to prove now, Johnny. Oh, look, she's got a boyfriend somewhere, Bert. She had to have one. The servants can be gone over. Somebody at the house has seen him. He's called her, sent her messages. He's our boy. We can bring him out in the open. We'll get help from Los Angeles. We'll call the legal department and get them busy. Get permission to exhume the body and have an autopsy. We'll Johnny. bring... What? Let this one go, huh? What? Drop it. It's just lousy enough to get by, Fuchs. We got a good case, Bert. I know. I've known it all along, Johnny. A sellout? Mrs. DeSalle offered me the whole hundred thousand. The whole hundred thousand, Johnny, to let it get by. <sighs> Who helped you do it? I don't know. I wasn't interested anymore when she came up with the offer. Look, what does DeSalle mean to you and me? Nothing. He had a whole life the best it could give him. We can't bring him back. I'll split the hundred thousand with you, Johnny. We'd have a little chance for some things, too. Johnny? Bird. No deal? No deal. You're a good dick, Johnny. Stand up. Oh, put that thing away. I've been looking a long time for a mark like this. Now you've lost it up and I have to beat it. Turn around. Bert. So long, Johnny. I went down to my knees trying to hold onto the desk. I saw him stand there a minute, like he might want to help me. And then he was gone. I did everything I could to make my feet, but my legs wouldn't work. And then it was all over. Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Democracy. What does it mean? The word itself is of Greek origin. Demos, meaning the people, and kratos, meaning authority. Thus, in a democracy, the people have the authority to rule themselves. But where does the authority come from? The authority comes from the people themselves. They put it in their constitution, and the constitution can't be changed by anyone except the people. That puts the supreme power of the government of a democratic country right in the hands of the people and the people elect their representatives to run the government. In that manner, democracy gives everyone equal representation in the government. Democracy provides mankind with its greatest legacy of freedom. Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the DeSalle Matter. The light on the desk was the first thing I saw. It was still on. The window was still open. The room was the way it had been before. I kept thinking about every man having a price and how Bert Kenyon had settled for $100,000. It seemed like a fair price. It also seemed too bad there was no way for him to collect it. There were two of them, a heavy-set man about 50 years old and a tall, lean-faced man with dark eyes. They looked me over. Your name Dollar? Yeah. Police, we want to talk to you. My name's Blair. This is Sergeant LaFrida. You sick or something? I bumped my head. How? Never mind. Well, what do you want? We'll ask the questions. What are you doing in San Ladeo? I'm standing around in a hotel room talking to a couple of cops. Just answer up. Don't be funny, fella. I don't feel even a little bit funny. You uh, got a license to carry this gun? Hey, what is this? Have you? Yes. Your meat-handed friend ought to put it down or it might go off. Been fired, Tom? Uh-uh. Meathead. Huh? That's what I said. I'll remember that. Okay, okay. Tell us about it. Tell us what you're doing here. And don't waste a lot of time doing it. I'm an insurance investigator. Tell this goon to back away and undouble his fist or I'll break a chair over his head. Are you going to try to be tough, baby? I'm going to try to find out what this is all about. You want me to pop him open to see if he's as tough as he sounds? Behave yourself, Tom. Let's see something that says you're an insurance dick. Top of the dresser. Bring it over, Tom. Sure. Oh. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now tell us what you're doing in town. The DeSalle case. Now you tell you me... You know Jared you... Canyon? I know him. I've been working with him. Well, he's been around town four or five days. We haven't seen you. I only got here this morning. You could prove all that, could you? Oh, sure. With a plane ticket, with a hotel clerk downstairs, with a bellhop who brought up my luggage, with a dozen people or more I've talked to today. And tonight? What about tonight? Right here. You could prove that, too? Try the clerk downstairs. There's Kenyon. Where is Kenyon? I don't know. You ought to know. Why don't you sit down, Tom? Okay, okay. Now, when did you see Kenyon last? A couple of hours ago. Now, tell us what you talked about, and don't forget anything. We talked about the DeSalle case. Can you have something new on it? No. Don't hold out on me, boy. This is police business. Tom here's pretty edgy for a cop, but I'll turn him loose on you if I have to, because I haven't got a whole lot of time to waste being sweet. Tom worries me to death. One more minute. Just one more minute is all I'm going to take off this guy. Oh, shut up. I'll ask you again, Dollar. What's new on the DeSalle case? What did Kenyon tell you? The way we look at it, you came out here because something new popped up that might take two guys to handle it. Look at it any way you want to. Blair, you're going to take this stuff. Never mind. Okay. Get your hat and coat, Dollar. We're going to see a fella. Not unless I know why. And I mean that. Dollar, your buddy's been killed. What? Canyon. Somebody shot him up an hour ago. I put on my clothes and we went downstairs and climbed into a battered-looking police car. Tom LaFrieda drove. I sat with Blair in the back seat. No one said anything. A half a mile out of San Ladillo, we turned onto the main highway and drove to a spot about two miles away, all-night filling station. There were a couple of highway patrol cars there, an ambulance, and men in dark suits who looked the way policemen always look. Wait here. Keep an eye on him, Tom. Sure. Be just a minute. <laughs> He's a soft old gink. I suppose you're hard. I know how to handle pinballs like you. Before we're through, you and me, we'll have it out. Okay, Dollar, get out. Yeah, sure. Tom, put the spotlight on him. Okay. Good. Now, Posey. Posey, take a good look at this man. You ever seen him before? No. Look good. Take your time, boy. No, a man I saw was shorter by this much. He wasn't as husky. Okay. You go on back to your place there and get some sleep, boy. That all? There'll be more by morning. Go along now. Sure. Night. What was all that? Tom, get out. You sit sure. around here with Dick and Wally. Okay. You're the boss. You get in the front, Dollar. You're lucky. Suppose he didn't recognize you. I suppose I am. Why? An hour ago, Posey's pumping gas. He hears three or four shots off in the dark. Then a car starts up and gets out of there real fast. Then Posey sees your pal Kenyon stagger out across the highway, full of lead. Kenyon drops dead right in front of the station. That's him they're mopping up now. We had half an idea you might have been the man beaten in the car. That's a dumb idea. Yeah, he was shot close up, like it was somebody we were just standing talking to. An old friend. You're an old friend of his. Claire, you got it all wrong. Huh? We haven't been friends for three hours. His full name was George Blair. He'd been on the Los Angeles force 12 years. Then they retired him in half pay when a holdup man shot off part of his right foot. He'd taken the San Ladillo job because it was the only police force he could find that would take a man who limped more than a little. Expense account item four, 20 cents coffee for Lieutenant Blair and myself. I don't know. Maybe we went at you the wrong way in that hotel room. That's my fault. But a man's been murdered, and I get excited about things like that. I don't blame you. No hard feelings? No. As long as I don't have to do business with your boy, Tom. Yeah, I got Tom LaFrieda and three other boys. None of them worth the press in their pants. I need help, darling. What? This town's popping open tonight. Your buddy got it, and it's tied in with this DeSalle thing somewhere. You're sure he didn't have anything new for you? No. Mm. You wouldn't want to tell me about that bump in your head, would you? Not right now, no. 
My boys are so green, they tromped all over the boat the night the sail drowned. They loused up anything that might have helped me to find out how he went over the side. They banged his head against the dock a few times, bringing him in. I couldn't tell if the bruises were there before or after he was in the water. You don't think the sails was accidental? I was murdered. She had somebody do it. But why didn't any of that come out in the coroner's report? My coroner runs a drugstore when he isn't being a coroner. If you feed him enough scotch, he'll tell you whether somebody's dead or not. He don't know from nothing. You know, the thing that kind of got me was this Kenyon. He went along with that coroner's report. I know that. You both know that. All right, I'll lay it on the line. I need help, Dollar. If I'm going to get anything done, find out who killed Kenyon, and get at this to sell thing, I need help. All right, I'll help you. I was hoping you'd say that. More coffee? No. Dollar. What? You can start by telling me about that bruise in your head. <sighs> Kenyon. He sold out, did he? Yeah. To Mrs. DeSalle. He covered up for her in the reports he sent in. Hmm. A man back in Hartford got suspicious and sent me out to make a recheck. Yeah, I guess something like that. No dummies, those claims, men. Look, uh, who'd he say was in on it? He didn't say. I don't think he really knew at least not any more than you and me. Mm. No wonder you didn't want to talk up that kind of news. Kind of hurts, doesn't it? Like having a bad cop around. You should know. I know. Well, how do you feel? Mister, I feel lousy. A friend of mine's been shot. What's more, he died a bum. Well, I'm talking about dropping in on people while the smoke's still hanging around. Mrs. DeSalle? Yeah. Let's go. It was about a quarter to seven in the morning when we left the diner. By 7.30, we were winding up the driveway to the DeSalle mansion overlooking the ocean. Claire mumbled things about the fog lifting and what a nice day it would be. I smoked cigarettes and looked and watched the contented smile he kept on his face. Well, what do you know? Mm. Tommy Lafrida's car. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's find out. Tom's off duty at 6 o'clock, as far as I know. Ah, I told you it was going to be a nice day. Yeah, you did it then. Nice place. The only thing nicer is Buckingham Palace. Mm. Mr. DeSalle picks up all these little knickknacks when we probate that will. The boat down there, everything. Nice. Yes? Mr. DeSalle, please. At this hour of the morning, she's still asleep. Yeah, we kind of guess she might be in bed. You tell her the police are here and want to talk to her. Police? Now you got it. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, just a moment. That's you, Blair. Hello, Tom. I'm waiting to see her, too. Thought she might have a little something to say that'd help in that Kenyon killing and be willing... You remember Mr. Dollar? Mister? That's what I said, Tom. What is this? He's giving me a hand. You trust him. Better than I do you. Kind of a crack is that? No crack. Just that you're always talking when you ought to be listening. Besides that, you've been drinking again. Uh, Go on, get your hat and get out of here. Don't I just gave you an order. Beat it. Okay. He'd like to kill somebody, that bird. I'm not so sure he didn't. You got a gun in that coat? No. Take mine. What? I don't like him being here. It just came to me. He was the first one down at the dock the night the Sal got it. The first one. Her boyfriend? Could be. I can't awaken Mrs. DeSalle. You'll have to come later. Well, we'll handle that part. Which room is hers? But you can't come in here. Which like room? Just, uh, top of the stairs, the first door. Well, you run along and buy yourself a cup of coffee. Come on, Dollar. You can't go up there at this hour of the morning and break in on her. Mrs. DeSalle. No. Hey, get the light switch. Yeah. Come near me, please. Don't come near me, please. Please. Oh, please, I won't tell. I won't tell anyone. Mrs. Sal, I just... Beaten up. Good fall. Please. Oh, please don't. Look, Mrs. Sal, we aren't going to hurt you. Tell us who did this to you. Tell us why. <laughs> Tom Lafrida? Was it Tom? Tom helped you get rid of your husband. Is that right? We know that's right. Now, what about Kenyon? Tom killed him. Lafrida killed him. Why? 
You wanted money to get away. Tom said it'd be easier. Easier to kill him off and let him go. Tom did this. Yeah. Why? He said people be around to see me. Not to talk about anything. Not to talk about anything. This is George Blair. Get an ambulance over to the cell place fast. He said he loved me. He never loved anything, anything in his life. <laughs> you big fat pig. Turn around and get it. I'll warn you, Tom. Dollar's got my gun. He's next. You look at mine. You all right? Okay. Here's what in the ceiling. You? Okay. Yeah, he's gone. What made him, Dollar? What made him? All these knickknacks. And her. <laughs> Expense account item five, 25 bucks. One phone call to Hartford. I told Hillary Fuchs the whole story, and he promised to send out the necessary legal aid. Item six, $10. Flowers for Bert Kenyon. Item seven, $2. One drink. To one good cop with a bad foot. The drink cost a buck. The glass cost a buck. The drink for the good. The smashed glass for the bad. Oh, yeah, it was hammy, but it made me feel... Expense account total, $416. Remarks, none. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, one of the sweetest old characters I ever met. And with him, one of the cleverest killers. Join us, won't you? Yours truly... Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood. It is written by John Dawson and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Harry Bartell, John Stevenson, Will Wright, James McCallion, and Ben Wright. Musical supervision is by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Dan Coverly speaking. Johnny Dollar has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Deller. Paul Brennan, Inter-Allied Insurance Company, Johnny. Oh, hi, Paul. How's the world doing by you? Oh, I got troubles. Oh, like what? Like Albert W. Winkler. Winkler? Who's he? Maybe you mean who was he? Well, which is it? Well, that's the trouble, Johnny. We don't know. Huh? Well, he's disappeared, and with him, a hunk of emerald worth exactly 100,000 clams. Wow. Well? Sure. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Inter-Allied Insurance Company, Dawson Building, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Blooming Blossom matter. Expense account item one, a dollar even. Taxi from my apartment to the offices of Inter-Allied, where Paul Brennan wasted no time in getting to the point. Albert Winkler was a partner in a small jewelry firm down in New York. Real exclusive type place. Lord and Winkler? Yeah, that's the outfit. Well, a few days ago, they got hold of an emerald. It's called the Green Eye of Calcutta. And Johnny, the darn thing's big enough to choke a horse. Okay, Paul, okay. I don't think you need to go any further. No, wait. They planned to put it on an exhibition at the big international jewelry show in Chicago next month. And Winkler took it home to work on it. Oof. Insured for 100000 you said. Yeah, and Winkler's insured for ten. Okay, so who killed him and stole the rock? Listen, will you? Go ahead. Well, Sunday morning, his partner Blewett tried to phone him at his apartment. No answer. So Blewett sauntered down to the office thinking he might be there. But no sign of him? Right. Nor of the green eye of Calcutta. Only a note Winkler had left the night before saying he was taking a stone home to work on it. Well, that makes it look as though maybe Winkler... Listen. About that time, the phone rang there in the office. It was the police department also looking for Winkler. Oh. Yeah, they'd been called by Winkler's landlord after a chambermaid had found his apartment completely ransacked and the old boy missing. Uh Uh-oh. Who's working on it? For the NYPD, I mean. Uh, Sergeant Randy Singer, 18th Precinct, Homicide. Old friend of yours, I believe. Yeah, good man. Has he come up with anything? Nothing. Well, Johnny? Sure, Paul. Now? Now. Item two, another dollar for a taxi back to my apartment where I slicked the stubble off my face, showered, dressed, and was about to head for New York when the phone rang. Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar? That's right. Oh, good. Well, who's that? Oh, yes, of course, Mr. Dollar. Huh? I must talk with you, sir. It's important, very important. Well, who are you? Me? Well, this is Wilbert Kenworthy Blossom. Yes, and I must see you right away. What's this all about, Mr. Uh, Blossom, did you say? Why, that's right. How did you know that? Oh, is this some kind of a gag? Certainly is not. And to think that now I'll be working with you on a... Oh, it's wonderful, just wonderful. What are you talking about? Why, you, don't you see? I follow every single one of your cases, sir. Either in the newspapers or on the radio. Oh, I'm your biggest fan. Is, uh, is that all you call to say, Mr. Blossom? It is not. I'm calling about the mysterious disappearance of Mr. Albert Winkler. Winkler? You know something about him, his whereabouts? I certainly do. Where are you, Mr. Blossom? Uh, Here at my house in New York, and I'll be waiting for you, sir. Goodbye. No, wait. Give me your address. Oh, oh, yes, of course. How could you know where to come if I hadn't given you that? (laughs) That was silly of me. Well, goodbye. The address, man, the address. Oh, Oh, of course. It's 825 East 73rd Street. (laughs) 
Item three, $9.20, transportation and incidentals to New York City and 825 East 73rd Street. It turned out to be one of New York's famous old brownstone houses, well-preserved and reeking of an era long past, when the city's wealthy and elite had built row on row of these monuments to a now-forgotten financial aristocracy. Oh, come in, Mr. Dollar. Come in. I'm Wilbert Kenworthy Blossom. And I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to be working with you on this. I don't know how to describe it, but I'll try. The inside of Blossom's home was unbelievable. Ornate pre-Victorian furnishings, heavy velvet draperies, huge lamps and chandeliers, gilt frame mirrors, even an ancient horsehair sofa. It was also filled with dusty piles of newspapers and magazines, hundreds of old books. Travel books, Mr. Dollar, and mysteries. Oh, I just love mysteries. One corner of the high-ceiling living room was piled with old trunks and handbags, an old carpet bag, even. Boxes of tools and utensils were stacked about, an ancient Victrola, beat-up sewing machine. You just never know when you might want to sew something, do you? Old guns and pistols, some of them museum pieces, a stringless tennis racket, a pair of rusty handcuffs locked to the base of a floor lamp without a shade. A broken bicycle pump. That's just in case I ever find a bicycle to go with it, you understand. Uh, yes. Against one wall stood an old metal cabinet loaded with rusty surgical instruments and a worn-out catcher's mitt. Yet directly opposite was a corner shelf full of priceless porcelain figurines and rare pieces of china. Some of the old clocks and jewelry on the mantelpiece were collector's items. Fine original oil paintings lay among piles of old shoes. All in all, it looked as though the contents of half a dozen pawn shops had been dumped into it. At auction sales, Mr. Dollar. Oh, yes, sir. I just cannot resist an auction sale or a bargain. But what are you going to do with all this stuff? Oh, just keep it. I like it. I like a lot of things. Yeah, so I see. Including 12 gross of Spencer's superlative steel tip shoelaces patented 1841. They were a bargain, Mr. Dollar. Just like all this fine artwork is, too. Yeah, I'm sure. Some of my friends pamper me a bit, though. You know, send me things they pick up at sale. Yeah, now look, Mr. Blossom, you told me you know something about Albert W. Winkler. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Well? And think of that magnificent emerald. Gone. Disappeared? Yeah, but now you said... And that poor intralight insurance company. Oh, my. That's how I knew you would be called on this case. But a hundred thousand dollars... And ten thousand dollars on Mr. Winkler. Well, at least they're off the hook on him until he's proved dead. Aha. And that's where I come in. With proof. Proof? What proof? Have you seen Winkler? Mr. Dollar... I have. Well, where is he? You understand, of course, that I know Mr. Winkler very well because I've seen him at his office so many times. Yeah, okay, go on. Oh, go on. yes, indeed. Such beautiful, beautiful jewelry he had there. And, of course, he was always trying to buy some of the things I But had. you say you've seen him. Where? Well, Saturday I'd planned with a couple of old friends to attend a railroad auction. Uh, that was the Canyon City and Metropolitan Railroad. Winkler was there at the auction sale? Oh, uh, yes. Did you speak to him? Oh, no. Well, why not? You said you knew him. Oh, I didn't go to the auction. I wasn't feeling very well that day. I had a little... <coughs> a little cough. <coughs> it was kind of like that. Then how do you know he was there? My friends went. And at least they talked about going. Mr. Blossom. And I'm sure you... they did, too, because they sent me something from... And what do you suppose it was? I don't know. I don't care. Now, look here. You got it me It was to... the very thing that has solved this whole case for you. What? And think of it. This dull drab, dreary life of mine has suddenly become... Why, it's almost like a mystery story, isn't it? Adventure and... Look, Mr. Blossom, think of, it, you... think of it. I'm being a detective. I'm working with my idol, the famous Johnny Dollar. Oh, George. Mr. Blossom, what did they send you? What's that? Oh, oh yes, of course. I'm just... <clears throat> uh, here. Here it is, sir. It's right here between the erector set and the golf clubs. This old trunk? That's right. Oh, great Scott, you think you do. But at first, of course, I, I thought of calling the police. But knowing all about you... Mr. Blossom, let me see that. Excuse me. There are a lot of crumpled newspapers on top. Yeah, I see. As old as the trunk. Good Lord. It, uh, it isn't pretty, is it? Sergeant Randy Singer, homicide. 
Randy, Johnny Dollar, get somebody over to 825 East 73rd Street right away, will you? Body of Albert Winkler. Randy got there in a matter of minutes. Got the same story from Blossom that I had, then called for the lab crew to come and take over. Now, now, who delivered this trunk, Mr. Blossom? Well, it was just, uh, just a delivery man. Can you describe him? Would you know him if you saw him? Yeah, well, he was big and strong. He was very strong. Distinguishing features. Scars or a limp or a beard or well, something? Well, I told you, Johnny, he was big and strong. How old? Well, I would say he was somewhere between 25 and, um... Yeah? 50. Uh, yes, I'm sure. Well, that's a lot of help. Yeah, you better have those thick spectacles changed. But he was big. Yes, we know, and strong. What about his truck? Oh, I didn't see that. He left it outside. No. Now, look. These friends of yours who did attend the auction, who were they? Oh, oh yes. Now the investigation proceeds. Now the excitement... Who were they, Mr. Blossom? Uh, oh. Well, there's uh, Randolph Harrison and Crystal... Randy Singer took down the names of Blossom's three auction-minded friends. The lab crew arrived. Randy took off to dig up Blossom's friends, and I took a cab. That's item 480 cents to the apartment of Elwood Blewett, Winkler's partner in the jewelry business. Blewett lived alone in a modest but tastefully furnished five or six rooms on East 52nd Street. Of course, Mr. Dollar. I'll be glad to help you all I can. Albert's death has been a terrible blow. Yes. Well, tell me this, please. Yes? Did Mr. Winkler make a habit of taking valuable pieces of jewelry to his residence? Yes, Albert often took pieces home with him to work on them, clean, polish, and so on. Wasn't that a rather dangerous practice? Frankly, I always thought so, but he felt there was far more chance of being robbed if he were alone at the office than at his flat, where he wouldn't be expected to have anything of great value. Well, who has seen the green eye of Calcutta besides you and Mr. Winkler? I'm not sure, of course. Almost anyone would have been able to recognize it. Because of the publicity and pictures when you brought it over here? Yes. Come to think of it, Blossom indicated he'd been much impressed with it. Wilbur Blossom? Yeah. You know him? He's been in the office many times. He and Albert were always bickering over pieces that either bickering? of Bickering? Well, it was really something of a joke. Albert always wanted some of Blossom's heirloom pieces, and Blossom wanted some of the finer things we had. Did he ever buy? Never. He always wanted us to put them up at auction or at a bargain price. Hardly our way of doing things, needless to say. When did you last see Blossom? Why, last Friday. I was busy with an important client, and from the back room where Albert worked, I remember hearing Blossom insist that Albert show him the emerald. What did he? I don't know. The silly argument got so noisy that I closed the door on them. Hmm. Oh, now wait. Certainly you aren't thinking that perhaps Wilbert Blossom... I'm not quite certain what I'm thinking, Mr. Blewett. Item five, ten cents, phone call to Randy Singer. No, not a thing, Johnny. One of the three names on Blossom's list is in Europe. The other two did go to the railroad auction, but purchased nothing. Randy, do a couple of things for me, will you? Like what? Phone whoever is stationed at Winkler's place that I want to look it over. Sure, everything is just as it was, including the poker that was used to kill him. Also, I want a copy of the picture of the trunk your lab boys took and the list of Blossom's friends. I'll have them waiting for you. And post a man at Blossom's place. Keep an eye on him. Huh? Yes, right away. Johnny, have you learned something that... No, no, just, uh, well, just for his protection, say. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, but... I... Blossom. Yeah, Blossom. Maybe I hadn't given enough thought to the strange little character. Or to why the trunk with Winkler's body had been at his place. But if he were involved, why call me in? Cover up? Possibility. But Wilbert Blossom kill a man? Yeah, maybe he could. Maybe he did. I'd better see him as soon as I get through with the inspection of Winkler's apartment. Mr. Dollar? Oh, hi, officer. Did Sergeant Singer call and tell you that... He's on the phone here in the Winkler apartment now. Wants to talk to you. Says it's very urgent, sir. Okay, thanks. Johnny Dollar. Johnny, how did you know? Huh? The man I sent to cover Blossom's house for you got there too late. What? Whoever got in and attacked the poor old coot got away. Attacked? Blossom? Yeah, really did a job on him. Johnny? <sighs> okay, Randy. Thanks.
Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Democracy. As everyone knows, democracy means many things. Self-rule of the people, a higher standard of living, freedom of speech, press and religion, rights and privileges, liberty. But the most vital promise of democracy is mankind's right to dignity. For it is through the dignity of man that democracy has given mankind its greatest legacy of freedom. Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Blooming Blossom Matter. Expense account item six, two dollars and a quarter for a fast taxi ride to 18th Precinct Police Headquarters. All right. As soon as I got your call, Johnny, I sent a uniformed man over to Blossom's house. From the way you talked, I thought maybe you suspected him. Yeah, Randy, I'm afraid I did. Boy, how wrong can you be? Anyhow, when he got there, he found the front door open and Blossom lying in the dark hallway. Where's Blossom now? In the hospital, but he's okay, just bruised up a bit. They're letting him out. Fingerprints? Anything to go on? The lab's checking on the prints right now. Uh-huh. Let me know. Yeah. Anything else? Nope. So, now let's find out who tried to put Blossom out of the way and we'll have the guy who killed Winkler. And stole the 100000 worth of emerald, then shipped Winkler's body to Blossom. Oh, uh, and by the way, here's the picture of the trunk you asked for and the three names Blossom gave me. Harrison, Norton, and Scatterday. What are you going to do with them? Randy. Hmm? Suppose the man who attacked Blossom is the one who did all the rest. You got a better suppose? Well, look, Randy, whoever wielded that poker on Winkler couldn't have been very strong. A really hefty wallop would have bent it out of shape. And the lab agrees with you. But, of course, it didn't take much of a blow to finish off old Winkler. He didn't weigh much over 100 pounds, you know. Yeah. Any strong arm could have finished him off easily and without messing up the whole apartment. And don't forget, whoever did him in also put him in the trunk and delivered it to Blossom's house. But why? Yeah. Yeah, and where's the emerald? That's what you should be worried about. A hundred grand worth of worry for your insurance company. Now, what are you going to do with that picture of the trunk and the list of Blossom's friends? Oh, yeah, sure. Hmm? I'll see you later. Item seven, five dollars and a half for a taxi to the warehouse of the Canyon City and Metropolitan Railroad over in Jersey. There I finally managed to track down a man who knew something about their occasional auction sales of unclaimed baggage and stuff. Insurance investigator, eh? That's right, Mr. McKinney. One of those boys with a fancy expense count, eh? Well, that's a matter of opinion. Look, you had an auction sale here last Saturday, didn't you? That's right. Handled it myself. Want to know something about uh, something we sold off? Exactly. Then I'm your man. Always remember all about every single item I sell and who bought it and, and all about them. That's fine. Because I want to know if any of the names on this list bought from you on Saturday. Yeah. Randolph Harrison. Man by the name of Harrison buy anything? Mm, no. How about Percival Wentworth Scatterday? No. Nope. Ellsworth Norton? No. Nope. You sure, Mr. McKinney? I'm sure. How, uh, how about Blossom? That a man's name? Yes, Wilbert Blossom. Well? No, sir. Nope, never heard of him. And like I told you, I never forget the stuff I sell or the fellas I sell it to. Wait. This picture of a trunk. Huh? Have you ever seen this trunk? Well, yeah. Did you sell this trunk on Saturday? Yes, I did. To whom? Come on, man, it's important. Well, uh, now, it was real early in the sale. Yeah, before most of the people got here. Uh, bought this trunk and had it sent to his apartment in New York. And his name? Well, it was a funny kind of name. Uh, Blinky or Winky or... Uh, oh, no. Winkler. Winkler. That was it. Albert Winkler. Item eight, two dollars, two drinks for myself at the nearest bar. But they didn't help to kill my feeling of utter frustration. Item 9, 550, taxi back to 18th Precinct headquarters in New York for want of a better place to go. Well, it's about time you got here, Johnny. Oh? Uh, we matched up the prints we found after Blossom was attacked. You know who made them? Yeah, here's his card. Carlo Bernasconi. Any reckon? A couple of a dozen arrests, only one conviction. Anything to do with jewelry? Better. Accessory to a hijack operation a couple of years ago. He drove the truck. Hey. Sure. Got a mugshot of him? We got him. Downstairs. Come on, I'll take you down. Randy, what's he look like? Like you'd expect a truck driver to look, big husky brute. Has he admitted anything? Well, the threat of a murder charge made him talk, all right, but none of it makes any sense. Of course it doesn't. But he's our boy, all right. He killed Winkler, beat up Blossom. I thought your lab decided whoever killed Winkler was a small fella. 
Mm, yeah, I So the theory about the same man killing Winkler and beating up Blossom doesn't work. But, Johnny, holy... Come on down, let's talk to this Berners-Gone. After I make a phone call. Huh? Who to? Yeah? Get me a man named McKinney. Canyon City and Metropolitan Railroad Warehouse over in Jersey. Make it fast, please. Yes, sir. Hey, you been over there, Johnny? Just before I got here. Did you find out anything? No, but I'm going to now. Like what? Randy, for the first time, this whole thing is beginning to make sense. Here's your party. Mr. McKinney? That's me. This is Johnny Dollar, remember? Sure do. Good. And say, now... I've been reading in the paper since you left here about that body found the trunk over there in New York. Yeah, well, look. In that same, is that same trunk you was over here asking about? Yes. Now, you told me that trunk was bought by a man who gave his name as Winkler. That's right. Do you here? remember what he looked like? Sure do. Why, I can give it to you as accurate as if it was in the police file. Well? Height, uh, mm, five foot nine, maybe nine and a half. Go on. Weight, between 155 and 58. You see, when I was young, I worked with a carny show guessing weight and height, and if I didn't guess it right... Yeah, okay, okay. Now, how about the uh, color of the eyes? <laughs> well, I noticed them because of the way he squinted through them thick, old-fashioned steel glasses. Thanks, he... Mac. I'm sending you a ten spot in the next mail. Well, now. Well, Johnny? Come on, Randy. Let's go down and see this Bernasconi. You find something out new? Yeah. And I don't like it. I don't like it. Now, look, Bernasconi, you're in plenty of trouble for the assault on Blossom. Maybe even more. But I'm the man who can save you from a murder rap. If you'll answer a couple of questions. Ah, uh, sure. I told the cops... All right. All right. Did you pick up and deliver a trunk yesterday morning? Sure, I told him. For a guy named Winkler. You got the trunk from Winkler? Sure, at his apartment on East... What did he look like? How tall? Uh, maybe five, eight, or ten. What? Johnny... Slight build or heavy or what? I'd say about medium. Maybe 150 pounds. Johnny... Now, look, mister... Now, wait a minute. You look. Did you deliver that trunk to a man named Blossom? Sure. At 825 East 73rd Street. What did he look like? Him I never seen. I knew it. He hollered from a window that the door was open and I should put the trunk in the living room. <laughs> what a junk house. But you must have seen him later when you came back and assaulted him. It was night then. When he come to the door, I just slugged him and let him lay there. Then I went inside where the lights was on to look for... Well, I looked for the big rock I'd read about in the paper. But then I heard a prowl car coming, so I beat it. Trunk wasn't there anyway. Okay, Bernasconi. See you later, Randy. Now, just a minute. Hey, and what about me? You said it... Item 10, 90 cents, taxi to Wilbert Blossom's old brownstone house on East 73rd. Come in, come in, Johnny. Thanks, Mr. Blossom. All recovered from your beating? Oh, of course I am. Here, sit down, sit down. You, uh, you said you wanted to help me on this case. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Why, this chance to work with a man I consider the finest insurance investigator in the world. Yeah. That's why I called you when I got the trunk with Mr. Winkler's body in it. Mr. Blossom, why don't you All tell the my truth? my drab, dull life, I've wanted to be a detective, an investigator. And this was my chance. My chance to... Tell the truth, did you say? <sighs> Mr. Blossom, listen to some facts for a minute and see what conclusions you draw from them. Oh, deductions. <laughs> like a detective. To begin with, this house of yours is so full of, well, junk. I told you, Johnny, I like things. I like things. But it also has a lot of fine paintings, sculpture, china, jewelry. Oh, I like all sorts of things, especially if they're fine and rare and bargains. <laughs> like the green eye of Calcutta? Oh, the most beautiful emerald in the world. And I would conclude that you'd do just about anything to have that stone. Yes, sir, Johnny. I'd reach the same conclusion. Okay. Now, when Albert Winkler and the Emerald disappeared, it was in the papers that Inter-Allied had written policies on them. Conclusion? Yes, sir. I would deduce that you would be called in. Wouldn't it be smart, then, if the killer was afraid I'd eventually get around to him anyway? Wouldn't it be smart for him to call me in and offer to help me? As a cover-up for what he'd done? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, indeed. Or at least he'd think it would. Oh, yes, I, I guess he thought it would. Another thing, Mr. Blossom. Oh? What is it, Johnny? The body was packed in the trunk with old newspapers. Like these you keep piled around. 
Oh, why, yes, yes. And I would deduce... So obvious that both Randy Singer and I overlooked them completely. Oh, well, there's so many things piled around it. (laughs) You couldn't be expected to... Johnny. Yeah? What really made you decide that... uh... Well, I'd like to know. All right. Albert Winkler was a frail little old man, about 4'11", not much over 100 pounds. Yes, he was. But the man who bought the trunk and had it sent to Winkler's apartment, who gave his name as Winkler, that man was about 5'9", 155 pounds. And he wore thick, old-fashioned, steel-rimmed glasses. But, Johnny, I can't see without them. Then there's the truck driver. The man who ordered the trunk delivered to this house gave his name as Winkler, too. But Winkler was dead by then. Dead from a blow inflicted not by some big bruiser, but by somebody of... Say your bill. Oh, that awful truck driver who thought the emerald would be in the trunk and came here to steal it and who beat me up. I suppose you want the emerald. Yeah. Here, Johnny, I, I kept it in this old coffee pot that, that I picked up at an auction sale. Real bargain, too. Isn't it a beautiful stone? Oh, if only Mr. Winkley would have sold it to me. At a bargain, that is. Then none of this would have happened. Well, I guess we better go now, haven't we? It's such a silly thing. Me trying to act like a detective. I guess I didn't even make a very good killer. Did I? Why? Just this overpowering passion to have things? Maybe. Or maybe it was just a reaction. A last desperate attempt to some way, any way, break from a lifetime of lonely, dull, drab idleness. I don't know. But for some crazy reason, I feel sorry for the funny little old character who turned killer. Expense account total, including incidentals and fare, back to Hartford, $61.55. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a case so simple, so easy, so obvious, that it proves almost impossible to solve. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. Heard in our cast were Howard McNear, Herb Ellis, Herb Vigran, Junius Matthews, Herb Butterfield, Frank Gersel, and Johnny Jacobs. Musical supervision is by Jerry Goldsmith. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Dan Coverly speaking. Johnny Dollar has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.